Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Lord, Acts chapter number 19. Acts chapter number 19, going to begin reading in verse number 21. I'm just going to read a couple of verses and I'll kind of read a few and teach a little bit, read a few and teach a little bit as we work ourselves through Acts chapter 19. My plan is intention is to finish Acts chapter 19 and march on. Amen. Just a little further. Acts 19 though, verse number 21. The Bible states these words. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying after I have been there I must also see Rome so he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered to him Timotheus and Erastus but he himself stayed in Asia for a season for a season tonight I want to talk to us about this title or this subject matter this evening things are not as they appear things are not as they appear uh, with that being said we're going to look at concerning Paul and his concept of going to Rome and we even understand he says he's going to go to Spain but I think Paul gets to Rome quite differently than the way he thought he would and also that all these riches that the people are getting from the shrine of Diana uh, that there are other means and ways of getting riches. Not all riches are monetary riches. Things are not as they appear. And also there ends up being a riot and a mob and they're all gathered together. There's a bunch of confusion and some people even don't know why they're there. Things are not as they appear. And then lastly, uh, there's a clerkman there that speaks about their God, Diana, and how that they have a sure belief in Diana and that's never going to change. But... There ends up being a church in Ephesus, doesn't there? Things are not always as they appear. So things are not as they appear. So that, that's kind of the structure, the layout of the land here this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. I'm praying, O oh Lord, for your anointing. I'm praying, O oh God, for your understanding. God, in this place, touch us afresh and anew, God, by your spirit. Lord, your word is already anointed. It is your word. It's the word of life. I pray, O oh Lord, God, help us to convey it in such a way that it can be understood. Lord, and we'll thank you and praise you, God, for what you accomplished, Jesus, in this place tonight through your word. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to try to pull some of these points, if you will, from the word of the Lord here tonight. Acts, by and large, if we were to look at the type of literature it is, and we did in the very first lesson, however long ago, that it is strictly a historical narrative, and many of the passages in Acts is that, and so... With that being the case, sometimes it's difficult to extract some teaching points from narratives, but we're going to attempt to do that here this evening. Now, Paul has stayed already uh, quite a lengthy time in the city of Ephesus. He has stayed longer here almost uh, than he has stayed anywhere else. And before it's all said and done, he will have stayed approximately three years in the city of Ephesus, which is quite an undertaking for the Apostle Paul himself. And the Bible tells us in verse number 22 that although he remained in Asia 
for a season, and more importantly, Ephesus, he purposed in his spirit. He purposed in his spirit to go to Rome. All the other places we have mentioned uh, in the word of the Lord, Ephesus and Philippi and Macedonia, all these other places Paul had been to, but not Rome. And unlike many of the places that Paul visited, many of the epistles even that Paul wrote to these various churches, Paul wrote the book of Romans before he ever visited Rome. And that's quite different than the way he usually did stuff. He wrote Ephesians after he'd been to Ephesus. He wrote Corinthians after he'd been to Corinth. And so this is a little bit different that Paul would later write the book of Romans without even first ever visiting Rome. But he has purposed in his spirit while he is in Ephesus that he will visit Rome one of these days. That's his desire to come to their city. As a matter of fact, Romans 1 and verse number 15 says this. So as much as in me is, Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So he has not been there quite yet. So he endeavors to get there and he has lofty vision to even make it to Spain. And that's, that's, that's really tremendous because Spain was the furthest west a person could go in the then known world. And so he's going to branch out as far as he can. And Paul does. Paul, he, he, his intention uh, is pure, and he, he makes it. He meets it. He, he, he finds himself in Rome in the last chapter of the book of Acts. But Paul gets to Rome perhaps differently than what he imagined he would get to Rome. Uh, if it was going to follow the, 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 the similar path, as these other places, maybe he would take a ship there, maybe he would travel there by land, maybe he would visit the synagogue, do some preaching, so on and so forth, but he gets there quite differently. The Bible tells us prior to getting to Rome that he would be two years in Caesarea in a prison, and it was from that place he would make an appeal to Caesar, and they would take him by ship, being a prisoner in, in shackles and in, in bonds, and he would land in Rome as a prisoner. So Paul says, I'm going to Rome. And I don't believe, though, he ever intended on going to Rome as a prisoner. But nevertheless, he got there, didn't he? Amen. So let Boil that little portion down to this. There are some things that we may have intentions for, but the way that we arrive there may not be the way that we necessarily plan to get there. But it does not subtract from the fact that we got there all the same. And for Paul, it does not subtract from the fact that it was the will of God for him to be there all the same. Though he didn't go as a free man, he went as a prisoner. It was still God's will for him to be there. The Bible says in Romans 15 and verse 22... For which cause, Paul's writing, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. So he's, he's speaking to them about his dilemma here of not having yet been to Rome. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, so there he is broadcasting, I'm going to go to Spain, I will come to you. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Spain, and you're going to kind of be a pit stop on my way to Spain. He says, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now, he's speaking of the present time in which he is writing, I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. 
for it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And so this is what we're seeing in verses 21 and 22 of Acts 19. Paul is sending ahead of him Timotheus and Erastus to Macedonia to perhaps go ahead and start gathering some of the contribution from those people over there so that he can make a trip to Jerusalem to help the poor saints that are in Jerusalem. Amen. And so he's kind of sending them ahead. And there's much wisdom in Paul doing this. There are lessons that we can learn from what Paul is doing here. For number one, it teaches us that we are affected by another. We are affected by each other, even congregations, truth-preaching congregations. We are affected by one another no matter how much distance there is in between us. Because he's having the churches that's over here, amen, we're over here of Macedonia, that they are making contributions to quite a distance to a church, the mother church, might we say, of Jerusalem. And so we are affected by one another, which is a good reason why we go over on that first Sunday night of October and repay a favor and go together with our brothers and sisters just 25 or so miles across. Amen. Because we are all connected in this thing called the body. So it's important, amen, for us to do so. But secondly, Paul is very clever in what he's doing here because over Macedonia, over here in these regions, are by, by, by most part these Gentile people that are sending offerings to Jerusalem, which for the most part are Jewish believers. So he has the Gentiles sending an offering to the Jews. And imagine, imagine how these Jews are going to feel whenever they have received an offering from the Gentiles because they're over here in Jerusalem, the Jews are, and they have been lacking. Imagine what that's going to do for the animosity that's been known culturally between the Jew-Gentile segments of society. Paul's wise. He says, if I can have the Gentiles give to the lack of the Jews, honey, what do you think that's going to do for the estimation of the Gentiles in the eyes of the Jews? It might heal some wounds. It might heal some animosity because they're extending a hand of help to people that a few years back had the situation been flipped would probably just get dirt on them. <laughs> You know, they're dogs, but Paul is very wise in what he is doing here. Amen. Proverbs 25, verse 21 and 22 kind of teaches this same type of, of, of mindset or the same type of, 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 of tool to do toward your enemy or people that you have problem with. It says, if thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head and the Lord shall reward don't you know I know it looked like whatever it was concerning some monetary means whether it was livestock or whether it was silver or gold but it was really hot coals in the pan that they were given amen to the Jews in Jerusalem when they done that and the Lord in his keeping of good records would reward them for that but if I may I want to pick back up in Romans 15 
where Paul was talking about he's going to come to Rome. He's going to go to Spain and pass by Rome. And he wants to visit with them. But right now he's got to get to Jerusalem to take the contribution. Verse 28 says, When therefore, Paul says, I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit. Whenever I've delivered the contribution, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. That's Paul before jailbird. <laughs> That's Paul pre-jailbird days. He's saying, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Even though he went shackled, he did go in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Amen. But he went as a prisoner. And so it seems again, it seems as though Rome was going to be a pit stop on his way to Spain. That, that greatest distance of the then known world to the west was Spain. Here's though interesting insight I believe concerning Paul and his vision and his intention for Spain. Uh, Mr. Calvin Miller enlightens us a little bit. He says this, and as far as we know, speaking of Paul, he never got to Spain. We don't see it in the word of the Lord. But in his Roman letter, he stated that this too belonged to his vision, his intention. He probably died before he ever got there. But at least he knew he was on his way when it happened. If so, then, Paul's never completed his vision. He died somewhere en route to his vision's end. But in a way... Vision should always be bigger than our lifespan. I mean, even at the point where we are right now in the book of Acts, some of us would look at the life of Paul and one would think, man, everything that Paul accomplished, that should be enough. I mean, everything that's been done up to this point in time of Acts chapter 19, man, that, that should be, that's more than what some people accomplish in their lifetime. That, that should be enough. I mean, this man has hazarded his life. For the gospel, he's hazarded his life for the message. But Paul didn't live in the past. You hear me? Paul didn't live in the past. He didn't have a belt and say, see that there? That there's Philippi and, there, you know, the notches on the belt. There's Macedonia and there's Ephesus and there's Corinth. And look, look, look at this. No, he didn't live in the past. He lived for the future. Or as one pastor, Pastor John Grant, said it like this, and he summed it up tremendously in a podcast I listened to not long ago. He said, don't allow your memories to be bigger than your visions. Don't allow your memories to be bigger than your visions. Of where you've been and what you've done to be bigger than what's still yet ahead of you. Paul didn't. He said, yeah, I've been to Macedonia and I've preached at Ephesus and I've been to Corinth and I wrote that epistle and this epistle. But he says, you know what? I intend to go to Spain and I'm going to drop by Rome on my way to Spain. And he's in shackles and he dies still not yet carrying out everything he planned on carrying out. Was he a failure? No. No. That just goes to show a guy that thought, you know what, I'm going to have something so big I won't be able to get it all finished in my lifetime. Rather than seeing, if you will, your lifetime coming to a close and saying, well, I'm going to stop because I have so many years left. No, 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 no. I don't know if I just hit a little nerve there. I feel like something happened there. Because we don't watch ourselves. We say we have X number. Some, there's two different type of mindsets. I have X number of years left in my life, so I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of draw back and enjoy my life. Then there's the other person says, i got 10 years left in my life. I'm going to do everything I can for God in these maybe 10 or 15 years i got left. 
Don't say amen. Or oh me. Oh me. I heard it. So Paul's vision was so big, he didn't have enough life to complete it. Yet it didn't keep him from trying either. Didn't keep him from attempting it either. Amen. Acts chapter 19, verse number 23. We can pick back up there. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. Remember, we kind of got this the way thing going, which was kind of referring to Christianity in that day. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So, in Ephesus, so let's just kind of set the stage here. In Ephesus, there is a temple of Diana. It is a focal point for the Ephesians. Diana, just a little information, Diana was the fertility goddess. She's the fertility goddess. As a matter of fact, her image in the temple was a female figure with many breasts. I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm just, just telling you here tonight. As a matter of fact, the girls who served in the temple of Diana, the, the, I read this in an encyclopedia, Bible encyclopedia, the girls who served in the temple of Diana dressed, this is the statement verbatim from the, the encyclopedia, dressed in short skirts with one breast bare. The temple of Diana was in building, in construction for 220 years. Its size, it was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. It had 127 marble pillars, each of which was a present from a king. All right? Each of those reached that 60-foot height, each of those pillars. The, 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 the temple of Diana in that day and hour was enlisted among one of the seven wonders of the world. There were 33 shrines all throughout Asia unto Diana, but the one in Ephesus had the most clout. It had the greatest. It was like the mother of them all. Amen. And so this is the arena that the silversmiths are working in, making little replicas Temple Diana or image Diana. And so people are coming. If they're going to come to any of the shrines, they're going to come to the one in Ephesus, just as people still yet do today, come and do what they do, kiss the image and whatever, bow, pay their respects. And what do you want before you go home? You want a little replica of where you've been and that God to be able to take home into your house. And so here you have the Apostle Paul, though, that's going around and he's preaching. These things that people make with their hands, they're not God's. That kind of upsets the cart. <laughs> that kind of upsets the cart. 
particularly in Ephesus. So there is a stir, as the Bible says, about the way. There's a stir about Christianity. Paul's preaching has infiltrated, remember, not just Ephesus, but all of Asia. So this is getting around to all of these different places that these 33 shrines even uh, of Diana are, both of the Jew and the Gentiles. Amen. Gods that are made by the hands of men are not gods at all. So if we just back up and think for a moment, Paul's saying, how can you expect anything from something you've created yourself? Hmm? And so this teaching that Paul was doing had such a domino effect upon the people that here Demetrius started to get afraid because if people lose their faith in their gods, then they'll no longer worship their god. And if they don't worship their god, they won't need a replica of the image of the temple or of Diana herself, and if they don't need that in their houses, then that impacts our business concerning these little silver shrines we make of Diana. And so that concerns my occupation, my livelihood, our guild, if you will, of silversmiths, so we got a problem on our hands. Because making silver shrines of the temple of Diana, of Diana herself, was a very lucrative business in Ephesus. He said it brought no small gain unto the craftsmen in verse 24. It brought no small gain. And although, although Demetrius is talking here, he brings up the idea of Diana being, you know, she, uh, folks, if we leave this going in verse 27, Diana, she's going to be despised. Oh, and the magnificence of her is going to be destroyed. Although he was bringing all of that up, the real key component is in verse number 25. It was really about his wealth. More than their worship. (laughs) We can draw a lot of things today. Really the key component is about wealth. The main reason Demetrius is worried about people not worshiping Diana. Is because then that will directly influence his profits. His livelihood. And the livelihood of the silversmiths. But Paul. Paul emphasizes in the book of Ephesians that he wrote back to Ephesus, he emphasizes in there, here it is, things are not as they appear, that there are some riches to be had in this life that are not solely material riches. For instance, here are some of the phrases that Paul used in the book of Ephesians concerning riches. Ephesians 1.7, he talks about according to the riches of his grace. Huh? That's not a material item. But it's, it's, it's a tremendous item. Chapter 1, verse 18, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Or chapter 2 and verse 7, the exceeding riches of his grace. Chapter 3 and verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 16, according to the riches of his glory. So Paul's saying, I know you're all talking about wealth and you're talking about monetary things, but there are some riches in this life that are not material things. There are some riches in this life that supersede the natural world. There are some riches in this life that move from the arena of temporal to eternal. Hallelujah. Things, boys, things are not as they appear. As a matter of fact, this whole thing with Demetrius and how, how he is acting and how he is responding reminds me of something else that happened in the Gospels concerning Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse 15, and said unto them, what will you give me? This is Judas. What will you give me? And I will deliver him, him who? Jesus Christ, unto you. And they coveted 
covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. As it was with Judas in many respects, so it was with Demetrius. And the fact of the matter is this. They loved money more than they loved God. Demetrius would rather keep his money derived from a false God that people would bow down to rather than to give any allegiance to the creator of the universe. He loved his money more than he loved God. And the little speech, he, he has the silversmiths, see. Want to get the ball rolling? They had little guilds back in those days. They were like little, you know, Knights of Columbus or, you know, the, the Union. They were, they were basically like unions, really. They had the Union, the silversmith union. So he got them together and he provoked them talking about how their wealth was going to be impacted and then kind of bunted the ball about, you know, it's going to hurt the worship of Diana. And whenever they heard of this, they went into rage and they were enwrapped, the Bible says, and they began to start to cry, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, here's the thing I just don't quite know. I don't know if they started yelling this and repeating this because they were trying to convince others or themselves. You know, sometimes when people do stuff like that, it seems as though they're trying to convince other people. In reality, they are really trying to convince themselves. But what could they point to that she had ever done? What historical proof did they have? Uh, would they point to, well, she made us wealthy? She didn't do that. No. What that comes down to is people were scammed into buying a lie. It was a scam that made them wealthy. Amen. But there are riches beyond just these temporal material riches. There's riches in Christ. Going on with verse number 29, if you will. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And uh, having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia which were his friends, sent to him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. They didn't know why they was even there. A lot of them were crying and saying all this stuff. They didn't know why they was there. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude and putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew with all with one voice about the space of two hours, cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Stated twice, confusion is the tone of the people that have gathered together at this moment. These people, they are enraged at Paul. Perhaps they were unable to find Paul, but they noticed two men that kind of grouped with Paul, that ran around with Paul. And so since we can't get Paul, we'll get them. So they grab uh, Gaius and they grab Aristarchus and they take him to this theater, people that were associated with him, and they go to this theater in Ephesus. So this, this starts to tell us that this little upsetting time has drawn a mob. You know how mobs work and riots work? Somebody gets mad and the other just gets mad because they're mad. They don't even know why they're mad. Yeah. 
I'm telling you the truth. There's yelling, screaming, breaking windows, busting doors. People do it just because people are doing it. They don't know really why they're doing it. And so there's a mob collecting because the theater in Ephesus, it's been excavated, it's been estimated. It had the capability of holding 25,000 people. And so they're headed to the theater. And so it's quite possible this angry mob just has grown more and more and it's inciting a riot. And this all started, here's the big one, this all started because a man was willing to preach the word of truth. Let me say it like this. Stephen Coe, he said like this. He said, if we do not sense any opposition from the enemy, we should examine ourselves to determine whether or not we are doing anything significant enough to oppose. Amen? In other words, if you don't feel some heat of opposition every once in a while, you need to ask yourself the question, am I doing anything that's, that, the end, that would be worth for the enemy to oppose? Amen? And so... Here's all this happening. Paul, of course, gets word of it. Man, it's a mob. It's crazy. He's going to go into that theater. Now, Paul might be thinking, man, this is a great ministry opportunity. Look at all these people. But, Paul, you could lose your life over it. And so the disciples are telling him, no, we're not going to allow you to enter in. Amen. And then the Bible even says some of the chief people of Asia who are considered Paul's friends agreed likewise. Paul, it's not good for you to go into the theater at this moment. And there's something that, that I think that is very important to note in that. These were chief men of Asia, and they were considered Paul's friends. They were considered Paul's friends. I think it's important to note that Paul had some people that were in position of influence and power in Ephesus that he considered his friends. I guess what I'm saying, there is nothing wrong with being Pentecostal apostolic and having friends within the community that's in position and power. You hear me? But there's such confusion going on in this mob, there isn't any unison in their cry. The Bible says some are crying this and others are crying that. There's no unison. Some are yelling one thing and others yelling this. And so we have this great mob. They are joining for the sake they did not know. Could you imagine? Man yelling, greatest Diana of the Ephesians, great Diana of you. Why are we doing it? I don't know. Greatest idea. <laughs> Can you imagine? Word to the wise. Things are not as they appear. Word to the wise. Don't join the crowd unless you know why they are there and what they're rallying about. Because the same type of thing, similar thing happened leading up to the crucifix of Jesus. While they stood there in the governing place, people started to cry, crucify him, crucify him. Don't you know that that caught like wildfire? They weren't, they weren't uh, uh, foreign to seeing crucifixes take place out at Golgotha for murderers and malefactors. Take a, of course, just join in the group, crucify him. Crucify him, but before the day's over, they have an innocent man between two malefactors who's losing his life, and some of them are there because they knew what was going on, but I guarantee you other of them were there because they didn't know what they were rallying around or what they had joined. So we, don't, we just don't walk the road of the majority just because it's per se the majority. You need to know why you're there and what's being rallied around. Amen. And so we have all this mayhem and confusion going on. And there's some boys, they start pushing out a guy. Oh, Alexander. 
I'm sure he's saying thanks, guys, as he's looking back. They're kind of pushing Alexander forward. He's going to speak in defense of the Jews, not of Christianity, but of the Jews. In other words, hey, we're not a part of this clan, okay? But whenever all the crowd recognizes he was a Jew, they erupted for two hours then in greatest Diana of Ephesia. The reason being, they knew that he was a Jew. And if he was going to dif differentiate between a Jew and what was Christianity at that matter, they knew, the people knew, that the Jews didn't support idols either. Amen. All the way back to the Ten Commandments, they hadn't been supporting idols. Amen. And so they've already been dealing with the Apostle Paul and his, his saying that anything that's made by the hands of men is not a God. Last thing they needed was a Jew to jump on the horse too, you know, and start talking about, yeah, y'all serving idols. You know, you blasphemers, all this. They didn't need that. So they just erupted in everything that they could erupt with about gray is Diana of the Ephesians because they're already in over their head in all this garbage anyway. Everybody following okay? Great. Verse number 35 of Acts 19. So for two, let me say though, on a side note, it is quite impressive that people for two hours will cry out the greatness of their God. You know, we've all talked, given a, you know, the roaring of a stadium whenever a game just begins and we compare that sometimes when we say, come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap praise and they, what is it, seven seconds I think they say is about the length whenever you ask someone to give a hand clap is about the length of what it happens these people for two hours. Man, if you did that for two hours, I guarantee you some of them are going to leave horse that day. Purporting something that couldn't save them, couldn't heal them. That's really something you begin to wonder. Verse 35, though, we didn't want to get off on a tangent right there. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter. Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and to do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men which are neither robbers of churches nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open. And there are deputies. Let them plead one another. But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. So the town clerk come for him. The town clerk is kind of responsible for the city of Ephesus. He's responsible to Rome for the city of Ephesus. So we got this chaotic mob rioting bit going on. See, if he doesn't find out what's going on, if there's just cause for it, Rome's going to find out and ask what's going on. He needs a good answer or it's his hide. And so he comes before me and saying, boys, we got all this chaotic stuff going on. And although the Bible says he appeases the crowd and seemingly gets them calmed down, and although that seems to protect Paul, and protect his friends and protect those that are there. Also, him doing what he did, it emboldens the Ephesians toward their false beliefs. Because he comes out of the chute talking like this. He basically tells everybody this, if I can paraphrase. Guys, y'all know that we worship Diana. That's what Ephesians do. That's what this city does. We worship Diana. And that's not going to change. 
I mean, that's basically what the man was doing. Calm down. Don't get your feathers ruffled and get out of sorts. We are who we are. And that's never going to change. These guys didn't rob our church. They didn't blaspheme our goddess. Things are not as what they appear, though. How many people have you ever come in contact with? Some of you even sat on the pew. I'll never be apostolic. <laughs> I'll never speak in tongues. I'll never run around the church. I'll never shout. I'll never, never, never. This is who I am, and that's never going to change. You just sealed your, well, not doom, but you just sealed your celebration. Things are not as they appear. They're saying, we're, the, we're Ephesians. We worship dying. That's who we are. But there's a church that gets established in Ephesus. So these guys didn't rob the church. They didn't blaspheme. Now see, them saying that and him being able to honestly say that is really due to the wisdom and the subtlety of the Apostle Paul. Because Paul did absolutely teach, preach against idolatry. Idolatry. But he did not personally attack the Diana worshipers. You hearing me? He didn't come out with a personal attack against them. He just preached the truth. He didn't take them in particular as a platform to get his big stick at and bash. He just preached the truth. Things that are made by the hands of men are not God's. And because of his diplomacy and his subtlety, which he preached the word of the Lord, then the town clerk could say, they've, they've not done anything per se against us. He wasn't calling out the worshipers of Diana per se, but indirectly by just preaching the truth they were called out. But there is a big difference in saying someone that say, that don't have incomplete truth, calling them out by name and then just preaching the truth of God's word and let it do the dividing. Am I making sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the Bible says Paul even did this in Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 16, he says, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Guile, another word for craft. Being crafty, I caught you with craft. Paul says, I was very wise in how I handled getting to you because I got to you without injuring you. I got to you, I got to you. I was able to preach truth to you, but I was able to do it in love so that you were receptive rather than Casting dirt up into my face, which there were some do that regardless. But what he's saying, if it happens, I'm not going to do it because I did something improper to cause it to happen. So the town clerk dismisses all these allegations because here it is again. The matter did not seem to be a concern of Roman law. Once again, it only seemed to be a religious matter. If you'll remember from last chapter, remember the precedent that was set with Gallio? Remember? Remember? He allowed Paul and them to go on. He brought a conclusion. You know, he, here's the case law being used basically now in, in chapter number 19. The problem gets dissolved because, again, it's not a matter of Roman law. It's just a religious matter. So see, that back in the last chapter really set things up for things future Amen. Concerning that were religious matters. And so here again, if Rome had caught, if Rome had caught wind of this riot, 
honey, they're going to want to know what's going on, the reason why it's going on, if there was a lawful reason why it went on. And so the town clerk, he was going to be accountable. So he wants to get this thing dismissed as soon as possible. And so, again, although the clerk reinforced the Ephesians' faith because, hey, we're worshipers of Diane and that's who we are and we're not going to change type of mindset, still yet a church gets established in Ephesians in Ephesus, and Paul writes to that church later about them prospering. And so here's, here's the concept I want you to wrap your mind around for that portion and segment of Acts chapter 19. Things may not change for everyone, but they will for some. Things may not change for everyone, but they will for some. And that's where I see, again, that Paul, even in Corinthians, was kind of encircling that objective even at Corinth. Because he spoke in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22. He talked about becoming this, becoming that. But that last phrase, he says, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And that equation always blows my mind. All plus all plus all equals some. So you might not change everyone and everyone might change may not change, but some, some will. And that is vital and that is important. If you can stand with me here this evening, things are not as they appear. Things are not as they appear. Paul got somewhere probably not the way he expected. Riches in this life go beyond the monetary. You need to know what you're rallying around. And everything might not change. But some, some will. We bow our heads here this evening. Father, I come before you tonight. I pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.